Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie, and today I've got a very special guest for this episode, and it's actually um, a recorded episode as well, a very um, rare occurrence for here, but I have here um, a gentleman who really doesn't need any kind of introduction if you ask me, but he is um, a travel YouTuber, a documentary YouTuber for um, the I Go Bart channel, and he's most famously known for the Welcome to My Dong series. So please welcome Bart to the show today. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you for being on here, especially since I'm just what a small an... little podcast. Yeah, what an introduction. I'm way too humble for that. <laughs> No, you're great. Yeah, I don't think many people know me. Not yet. Working on it. Hey, I've learned quite a bit just from watching everything between them. Like the stuff you've done with um, David Mason, Sean, and of course, Joe. Those are some of my favorite episodes, especially um, Joe with the meat market. How was that? Oh, fantastic. I didn't know we had a place like that in Korea. Uh, mm -hmm. the government tends to promote markets that, in my opinion, are not so interesting, but uh, more unfamiliar markets uh, like this one, which is the largest meat market in Korea. It was was a, a, a bloody experience. It seemed like it, especially it the with weak the... <laughs> It looked pretty interesting, especially with the cow brain. And it didn't look like from what I've seen that you were too fond of that. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, but. but do it this with Joe, like I did it with Joe. Uh, he just knows so much about that place and about Korea mm -hmm. in general. And the same goes for uh, Sean and David Mason, as you mentioned. So mm -hmm. I'm just a guy who wants to learn. I'm curious. And I always try to find the people who can teach me, who can show me things about Korea. And then I absorb all the information and give it to my own audience. I mean, that's great, especially for those of us who don't really get the opportunity to go over there. So it gives us a little peek into how things really are instead of this painted image that people might get. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, like one of the things that I, I want to say frustrates me, but I would like to change that is that there are so many uh, influencers, as they are called, or creators or even mm -hmm. a government. They try to promote a certain image of Korea. Right. Uh, which is, is quite effective. It works. Many people come to Korea after uh, seeing this kind of stuff, but uh, it's only the surface of what Korea is. So with my channel, I hope to dig a little bit deeper and give mm -hmm. people also the other faces that Korea has to offer because there's so much more than K-pop, K-food and K-drama, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things that I've been able to discover, especially um, just you communicating with the people, how happy that they really are everywhere that you've been. Right, right. Yeah, the Korean people are really friendly, especially when you speak a little bit of Korean, uh, which I do. It's still not good enough. Uh, right. But if you do so, then, <laughs> then they're more than willing to talk about whatever you ask them. And uh, you get the foreigner pass for a lot of things because hierarchy is quite important, especially when you use Korean. Then there's a certain mm -hmm. way of speaking to the elderly. Uh, but the way I approach them is, is quite informal, not because I do it on purpose. It's the only way I know how to approach people. Uh, yeah. But they seem to enjoy it, luckily. Yeah. yeah, I think it makes them very happy just seeing somebody that's willing to partake and learn in their culture, especially um, the history that they want to show, because I've seen how happy it makes them look when you talk to them and how impressed they really are, even with your Korean. And by the way, your Korean's a lot better than mine. I've got an elementary school level. So. Oh, but that's something. Yeah, like, you, you know, to say hello, how are you, and all that, that stuff. Yeah, I know how to do the onion haseo and everything like that, but 
other than that, there's yeah, still a ways to, there's still a ways to go. But mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to start this out and ask you, um, you know, what really got you um, drawn into South Korea? Like, like if you want to explain a little bit about yourself, like how you currently got into the thing that you're doing now. Um, yeah. So, well, first of all, I'm, I was like born in the Netherlands, so I'm from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, now married to a Korean woman, a lovely Korean woman. Um, and I was like, I started to get interested in, in Korea when uh, I learned about the conflict between North and South Korea and the status quo. And that after the Korean War uh, this year, like more than 70 years ago, that they uh, signed the armistice. So technically they're still at war. And that ever since the war, that there's still a lot of incidents between both countries. And, and it's really interesting to me to see how both countries have grown apart from each other and now live in completely different ideologies and systems. Um, yeah, th- that's something that really hooked me before I knew anything else about Korea, other than, than there's a Kim Jong-un and there's a South Korean president and they're fighting a lot just uh, mm-hmm. like six, seven years ago. Uh, but I think that also has to do uh, with uh, my study because back in the Netherlands, I studied human geography and I was specialized in conflicts, territories and identity. So anything related to conflicts is something that I'm like passionate or passionate or fascinated about and I want to learn more about. And um, throughout my studies, throughout my master's, a lot of conflicts were uh, discussed in Africa or South America or Eastern Europe or the Balkans. So nothing about korea right that was just something that i picked out of the news Uh, i wanted to learn more about just my own personal uh, journey of of curiosity um yeah so at some point i decided to go to korea uh lived there for a few months study the korean language at one of the universities and just experience the country and that was also the moment when like like being embraced by its culture and then falling in love with it, like many travelers do going to Korea. That's something that's hard to explain, but it happens to a lot of mm-hmm. travelers. Also, I see a lot of travelers uh, coming today that somehow fall in love and they do their best to stay as, as long as possible. And I, I guess that happened to me. And I was lucky enough to meet uh, a Korean woman <laughs> that I really love. Uh, we got married, so I'm still here. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, it looks like you've definitely got a major passion for South Korea. And I love seeing that, especially in your videos. Like it is so adamant how much you really not only just love, but you have such a deep respect for the culture and everything that you do. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to do that. Trying to have as much respect as possible for the culture. Uh, but, but there's something I learned uh, over the last five years doing my YouTube channel is that mm-hmm. whatever you discuss in Korea, whatever you talk about, it's always controversial. Yeah, I noticed that, especially with the Mahjong episode. That w- that one was cool. Yes, and, and maybe I've seen the one with David Mason uh, when mm-hmm. we went to Uidong, into the mountain, into the temple. Yep. Uh, we were talking a lot about President Park Chung-hee, and his words were the great dictator, Park Chung-hee. Yeah. <laughs> and th- th- that is something uh, really controversial to say, because a lot of Korean people, yeah. they still love the man and for what he has done and how he has built up Korea um after the war and a lot of people they don't like him so they call him dictator so yeah you, I can, you have I to saw be that. careful yeah. yeah i saw that but the, you can't really deny um 
the way the history is he did do a lot of good things for korea so i can definitely understand why there's a lot of like the older generation like how david said that revere him and then you know the younger generation kind of looks at you know just the upbringing of korea from the little bit that they do learn in history so i can definitely understand why it would be a very touchy subject yeah same same yeah yeah but um let's see um when you actually started the channel um i noticed like i literally deep dived after joe and sean introduced me into you so it's i got so fascinated like i noticed you did like some er not just you know the urban exploration and everything that you've been doing um you had done like a little bit of dark tourism at the start of it yes i did a small dark tourism series um i was inspired by the netflix series oh i forgot the the name of the man this uh, guy this man from new zealand the dark tourist the series called is what the series is called uh it it was amazing i really loved it and i watched it a couple of times and i was like Mm -hmm. hey i want to do something similar but then in korea but the whole concept dark tourism doesn't really exist in korea and most of my audience is korean so they weren't as interested as i was it's like ah no it just didn't work out but i've tried i've tried yeah it looked like something it's more um kind of designed towards you know foreigners who are looking in or people who possibly want to go especially people who are into like true crime and all that but it was very good those few episodes that i did see so i love that and um i noticed like you also did like stuff like daily life as a foreigner at the very beginning how was that when you were starting out your channel oh um so when i started out my channel it wasn't called igo bart but sexy green really <laughs> Yes. Um, my goal that time was to explore all the green spaces in Seoul and, and kind of mm-hmm. uh, see how much green Seoul has to offer and how it is good for the environment and blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I wanted to catch your names as well. Okay, introducing green, uh, introducing the sexy green of Korea, something like that. But um, as, as shy as I was, I, I was really afraid to be in front of the camera alone. And I always invited my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife, to be next to me in front of the camera. Uh-huh. That, that was like the only way I could be in front of the camera. And then like automatically we became an international couple channel. And, and that's the <laughs> thing on YouTube. I, I didn't know it mm-hmm. until then that uh, a lot of people in Korea, they, they follow international couples on YouTube to learn about like multicultural relationships and how it is to date a foreigner guy or a woman uh, or, or whatever. So um, I was like, okay, people start to follow us now because we're an international couple. So why not just jump on the opportunity and make videos about being an international couple? But that was so boring and I hated it so much. I like to a certain extent, I can give some of my personal life uh, to the public. Like I don't mind sharing a lot of things, but not everything. And the moment you become an international couple, you literally put yourself, uh, your life as content to your audience. And, and, and that right. made me uh, like even more uncomfortable. So it's like, hey, Kriya, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe just just you focus on your work and I'll focus on mine. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided to go to North Korea. And yeah. That has changed everything. I've, like, I filmed the whole uh, trip to North Korea, came back, made this uh, big like seven, eight episode documentary mm-hmm. series out of it. Uh, the channel blew up. I got a lot of subscribers. And then I knew, okay, maybe I should focus more on the travel documentary side of things, history. Uh, yeah, and all that, all that, that stuff. 
Uh, definitely. I loved the uh, North Korea tour series. It was very eye-opening for me to be able to see how that really was. So that was that was pretty cool. I think that's that's considered like one of your more popular um, series and uploads, is it not? Definitely. I think the first episode has almost 6 million views by now. Wow. So almost all of them have millions of views. Um, yeah, it, it is successful in a way. So if you look at the numbers, yes, it is successful. Mm-hmm. But the people who watch those episodes now, they wouldn't follow my channel because they also see that I'm not doing that anymore. Like I'm, I'm not making uh, content of traveling to dangerous countries or conflict zones or war zones or yeah you know countries that are in the eyes of, of western people unfamiliar um, like taboo i'm not almost. doing that taboo almost yeah exactly like right. say south sudan somalia those kind of countries right um yeah yeah so would you think um the series that you're doing now welcome to my dong is very successful so far because i know you've traveled to what's like 40 almost 50 something of the neighborhoods so far uh-huh. Now 45. I did over 50, but I've uploaded 45 neighborhoods. Quite ah. a lot already. Yeah. But that's been really fun, especially getting to um experience what each of those different neighborhoods are like, because I bet they've got their own little personality, each one of them from that I've seen. Yes, definitely. Before I started this series, I talked to a lot of people. It's like, hey, I have this plan. I want to explore all 467 neighborhoods in Seoul. What do you think? And then all people were like, yeah, you know, just, just do Hongdae, just do Gangnam, just do Itaewon, like this popular neighborhoods, because people are only interested in those neighborhoods. It's like, oh, really? Are, are you sure? So that, that almost stopped me from starting this series. And then I talked to my wife and she's like, Bart, I know how passionate you are about uh, doing this project. You've been talking about this for years. Mm-hmm. Just start it and see how it goes. And then when I started exploring the first neighborhoods, I realized that, that every neighborhood has a story to tell. And yeah. I love stories and I, I love digging up those stories, whether it's through a co-host, a guide, uh, the local people doing some extra research on the internet, but there's always something to find. It <laughs> could be as simple as, as a tree or a building. Uh, and I, yeah, I've managed to do that until now. It feels good. Yeah. I mean, between um, the North Korean and the um, Welcome to My Dong series, I think those have been my top two favorite things that you've done. And I know you've not done any, like you said, you're not doing any of that dark traveling or anything that's necessarily considered taboo for people to go and travel but um i mean you did say like you were inspired by you know coming to south korea from everything that went on with the war between north and south so is that another thing that kind of inspired you to go into north korea to learn about what north korea was really like or oh um it has actually a lot of reasons Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember I was living in a different place in, in Korea, somewhere in Hapchung. I was sitting in a room and suddenly I got a phone call from home. Uh, yeah. It was my father. And, and he said, hey, Bart, uh, like, listen up. Your uncle just passed away, just died. Yes. And so my father's brother and my uncle was a lot younger than my father. And my father is already 69. So it's quite an old family. He's the youngest out of 10 brothers and sisters, big family as well. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I live in Korea. I don't really see my parents so often. So I started to think about it every day. It's like, hey, what if I one day get the message that maybe my parents are dead? You know, that can happen yeah. because my uncle is a lot younger. So you, you start to think about those things. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I wanted to do a special trip together with my father, like father son kind of trip. And at that point, I didn't know where we would like to go to. But I knew that my uh, father, as a former history teacher, uh, specialized in like the USSR, East Berlin, the Cold War, Second World War, mm-hmm. uh, has been to Moscow during those days uh, before the wall fell, the Iron Curtain. Uh, he would be interested in going to North Korea. Um, and at the same time, because I just started my YouTube channel, I was also looking at all the other travel YouTubers going to North Korea, uh, trying to get some inspiration of how they make their videos and what they do to get views. I, I, I just suddenly decided to, to go myself and, and do the same thing as they do, but then together with my father. So, you know, win-win situation. Right. That's... Uh, and I called I call my dad and, and I asked him, say, do you want to join? He said, yes, let's go. <laughs> It looked like he was very excited, and that's such a, oh my goodness, that like uh, tears at my heartstrings knowing that that's kind of like what inspired you to go over there, just kind of like a father-son bonding moment to get time together, especially because of how short life can really be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm as as a, like I have two older sisters, but I'm the only one who lives abroad, Mm -hmm. which is my own, own, my own decision. So like whatever happens in the Netherlands, I will always be too late to to see it for myself. You know, if, if somebody gets sick, then I have to book a ticket right. and go back. And I like, I don't want to regret anything like not having done with my family. Uh, so I, I tried to do that as much as possible. And yeah. this trip with my father was one of those things. And it gets to be like memorialized all over, you know, YouTube. And it's such a really great learning um lesson for everybody so that's that's wonderful so while you were there do you mind if I ask you some questions about your visit because I know you did a QA and a about that but there was some things Uh that I really was hoping that we could talk about if you're comfortable with doing that of course yes go ahead okay um was there anything when you arrived there or anytime during your trip that was kind of surprising or something that seemed different from what your perceived notion of North Korea was or Yes, um, the amount of freedom that you have to film things. Yeah. Like be, before I booked this trip, I had this uh, image of, of North Korea being super strict and not allowing any foreigners uh, to film or take pictures and they will check everything you do. But it was the opposite. They allowed me to film almost everything except for the military Mm-hmm. Um, and here and there, you have to ask permission to people just to be polite, not not so much like the government wants you to do that, more as, as a form of respect. Um, mm-hmm. You're not allowed to film constructions. And whenever you film the leaders, like Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Il-sung, then you need to film them in a certain way. They Their whole body needs to be in the frame. You cannot cut off their heads and arms. Um, when you stand together with them on a photo, you, you're not allowed to smile, put your hands in your pockets or... Uh, leave your cap on and stuff like that but other than that mm-hmm. i could film everything from beginning to the end that's i mean that's awesome was there anything while you were there i don't know if it was necessarily like a kind of guided tour that you had to be on was there anything that you really wanted to go visit that you didn't get a chance to when you were over there or <laughs> um anywhere else than the itinerary that they made for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> as, as you can imagine um they make your itinerary and there's no way for you to go anywhere else. There are always two guides uh, with mm-hmm. you, except when you go to the toilet. 
if you want to leave the hotel, then they get nervous and they will stop you or try to stop you. Like there's no way for you to walk freely around as an individual and, and see for yourself what the neighborhood is like. There's no way I can do this Dong series in Pyongyang, for example. Right. Um, but there, there was one particular moment when I was in Gaesong, which is uh, like the old capital city of the Goryeo, Goryeo dynasty, uh-huh. um, n- now in North Korea. We were standing on a hill and we were looking over the city, which is basically untouched. Like whatever you see, like the castle, the buildings, everything is just so old. Everything is probably over 100 years old, which is considered quite old in Korea. Yeah. I just wish I could stroll through the back alleys of that city and to see how the people live. Oh, yeah. And that's it. But but you couldn't. You just see everything from a distance. And, and that was so frustrating. Mm-hmm. really frustrating well yeah and then yeah i can understand yeah. why that would be frustrating because you want to get a feel of the country exactly how it is and get to know the people but it seems like it was an unfortunate thing that you didn't get that chance to yes exactly you are there but not really there i always compare it with um like a, a bubble you're in a bubble uh, mm-hmm. flying through the country but you can't get out of you can't reach out of the bubble and people can't get in your bubble except for mm-hmm. the people already in the bubble which are all the other tourists and the guides uh, and and a few people loyal people live in pyongyang but that's it mm-hmm. yeah that that but yeah that's also what you know before you go to north korea so it was not really a, a big shock to anyone right like they gave you a little heads up that this was all that you could do yeah exactly there, there was one thing however that was quite new so um, my foreign guide who came with us from Cordio uh, Tour Company, uh, mm-hmm. he was also with us all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a special contact in North Korea, a, a person who started a, a microbrewery company. Oh, I don't know how that worked out, but um, North Korea was experimenting with microbrewery beer, which was a trend like in 2008. It was like a trend all over the place, also in South Korea today. Uh, mm-hmm. But also North Korea, they were experimenting with different flavors of beer and he said hey Gebart, if we're lucky we we can visit this brewery maybe and that will be the first time a foreigner has ever visited this brewery but that was cancelled oh no yeah now now i feel like i need to go back and you know go to that place that particular brewery because i love beer i always try uh, new beers everywhere i go even in south korea i even have a whole administration and application on my phone uh, so that that was like a big opportunity for me. And then I was taken away <laughs> that same day. It's like, ah. Gosh, that seems like it would have been time. your, it seems like it would have been your favorite part if you could have gone. So was there anything that was a favorite part of that entire trip that you loved the most? Mm, yeah, there were several. Uh, one was the mausoleum in Pyongyang. That's where uh, the bodies of Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung are, how do you say that, like, uh, like plastified and doomed there. Mm -hmm. That was such an unreal experience. You were not allowed to carry anything inside, not your belt, not any coins, not your wallet, not your phone. You had to give everything um, to the people there and they put it in the locker. And all they gave you was a a handkerchief in case you had to cry if you see the bodies. (laughs) So we were like, okay, well... (laughs) So we went inside, everything is clean and everything is sacred and holy. You're not allowed to point your finger at paintings or say anything funny. That place is like the most sacred place you can imagine in North Korea. 
And then you go into this dark room, a lot of military, you see the, the soldiers standing in the corners. You're, you're quite nervous because you can quickly do something wrong. Uh, and then this whole ceremony of walking around the coffin or the body, uh, you have to like bow a few times at certain points. But it was so unreal to see those two men there from up close, like two people that have done terrible things and that you know from the news only and from movies and now suddenly they were in front of you that that one felt so unreal mm-hmm. and yeah north koreans crying around you and you don't know whether that's that's real or not like, the whole experience was so awkward in a way but yeah that, that that's really printed in my memory for some reason um that, yeah so that's one of my like i want to say like favorite parts just had yeah. the most impact on me i guess yeah um, I mean, yeah well is there any um are you hoping that you'll be able to visit again soon maybe be able to visit like that microbrewery if it's still you know <laughs> in business down there yeah, now my secret dream is to cycle from south korea all the way to the other side of north korea literally like, go up the entire korean peninsula yeah wow exactly that, like that's one of my dreams i'm not sure if it's a realistic dream but yeah dream big right no but but seriously right. though um do i want to go back if if it's safe and if i get another opportunity probably yes but after like after i came back from north korea i made this whole documentary series uh, mm-hmm. i've been in the media i have a lot of north korean defective friends uh, yeah. I did a lot of North Korean interviews as well. I worked for NK News for some time as a freelance documentary maker. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot, a lot of things that the North Korean government probably wouldn't be too happy with. Um, yeah. And I think I, I should expect them to know about this. Like it would be naive to go thinking that they wouldn't know about that. Oh, of course, definitely. They they have a running knowledge of everything that goes on the way that their country is perceived. Exactly. And I don't know if I'm on the back blacklist or not, but I don't want to take any chances. You know, I'm married now. Yeah. Uh, I've been there once. Uh, it was during a time when the relationship between North and South was a bit better with Moon Jae-in. They just met at the border. So mm-hmm. like American anti-American propaganda was taken off the streets in Pyongyang. You know, things were going well compared to now. So uh, Yeah, it's a little now, bit more it, tense. It, yeah, it's a bit more tense. Exactly. Probably would be a long time before things will kind of calm down, especially with the way that things are nowadays. I mean, whew. but while um, oh yeah, while you were there, um, you did learn um how to speak in the North Korean dialect and everything. So how difficult was that compared to South Korea? Because I know South Korea takes a lot of English and mixes it in, and North Korea pretty much in a way, if you want to be controversial, says it's kind of like true Korean because they have their own words and they don't interpret a lot of things from other languages. So how difficult was that? Oh, um, well, I didn't study that much. I, I've tried to learn uh, a few common words that are different. For example, in Korea, South Korea, you say Hua Chang Seal for the toilet and there you say, North Korea, you say Hui Chang Seal. I believe it was that. But like you said, they don't have Konglish in North Korea. So if you mm-hmm. want to order a coffee, well, in Pyongyang, probably they would understand coffee, but in other parts of North Korea, they wouldn't understand kopi as the way they say it in South Korea. Right. So I had to say um, hukcha, like black tea. And 
in South Korea, for example, they say shampoo. In North Korea, they would say mori binu. It's like hat soap. Like <laughs> literally two words. They glue them together, and that's the word for shampoo. So yeah, it's they also speak uh, a bit more formal. So in Korea, casually you say anya haseyo, but in North Korea they would say anya hasemnika, ah. which is still used in South Korea, but uh, yeah. less often. And yeah, it needs to be in a very formal setting, like the president, for example. But mm-hmm. yeah, North Korea, just people among each other would say uh, say it in that way. So yeah, I had to do some research because I wanted to connect with North Koreans as much as possible, and that's mm-hmm. something you do through the language in most cases. So. Oh, definitely. So um, as far as like food and everything goes, is there anything that was like your favorite food while you were there? I know you got to actually try the legit cold noodles. So was that your favorite or? (laughs) No, not at all. And it's not my favorite in South Korea either. (laughs) I don't like the I don't like the cold stuff. I mean, it's edible. It doesn't have that much flavor. Um, Yeah. The same goes for all the other foodies that I tried in North Korea. The best thing I've tried was the pancake. Oh, John. That was a that was yeah that was fantastic. And in Gaesong we had like the Wang Umshik. I'm not sure if that's the proper name for it, but you eat like a king. That's how they say it with a lot yeah. of side dishes, like more than 50 side dishes in front of you. That mm-hmm. was super delicious. It was either that or dog. <laughs> we could choose between two meals. Oh really? Um, and I didn't want to try dog now, no, no. Um, that's not up for me. Some people in the group did it, but no, I, I wanted to stay on the safe side. But overall, it's all a bit bland, uh, not as good as South Korean food, mm-hmm. but good enough. Like I had worse in other countries. Well, did you get to try any beer at all while you were over there? <laughs> <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rate the beer over there? It's good. The Daronggang Mekchu, which is the most common Mekchu, comparable with uh, Kas or Max here in South Korea, Mm. was, yeah, that was fantastic. I loved it. It's really fresh, really well brewed, uh, not so strong, Mm -hmm. but yeah, just just well balanced. And then there's also Soju, which is a lot stronger than here in South Korea. I mean, yeah, it's good enough. (laughs) It's good enough. Well, I yeah, mean, it's no, great. Uh, that, I can't complain. Yeah, it's great that you got to try it. I mean, I would love to be able to be um, try that, but I don't know necessarily being an American, especially with how tense relationships are, if that's necessarily a safe thing, especially being female. I know that kind of sounds a little biased, but it's erring on the place of caution and safety. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely. So while you were there um, visiting North Korea, um, kind of merging in a little bit with what I do here on Manic Manor Podcast, talking about, you know, any kind of true crime. Briefly, you mentioned Otto Warbler and everything with what happened with him. Um, is there anything else that you learned? Any like possible urban legends? I don't know if that's necessarily something that they talk about over there that your guide may have mentioned. Or is there anything that you learned? No, no, the, the guys would most likely not say certain things to the group. Right. Um, at some point, it was mentioned that um, in our hotel, the top floor, there was a restaurant. 
uh, and a bunch of Russian tourists, they started a fight and they, they completely destroyed the place. <laughs> and, and everyone knew about that because there was a lot of sound and the guides were talking about it and like uh, everybody was stressed out. Uh, we were worried because we knew that like Otto Warmbeer for uh, as simply as, as stealing a poster, uh, yeah. presumably, like we don't even know if that's true. Um, mm. They arrested him, but this Russian guy who destroys an entire restaurant or bar uh, was not arrested as far as we know <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's one of the things I heard a story from uh, one of my other uh, group members like tour uh, tourists not the uh -huh. North Koreans and it's about right. I guess it's an urban legend about Kim Il-sung so uh, he said that there's a forbidden book in North Korea and there's a prophecy written in this book and it's written by the father of Kim Il-sung and he said, like, hey, uh, son, if you ever come across a snake, then turn around and go into a different direction. So don't go into the direction uh, of the path where the snake is on. Uh -huh. So later uh, in his life, Kim Il-sung, he came across a snake when he was going into the mountains. And then one of his bodyguards tried to kill the snake. And Kim Il-sung said, no, 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 no. Let's just wait before it leaves. And we will ask him uh, to leave. And the snake did. So the snake left. And Kim Il-sung, you know, kept walking the path up into the mountains. And that is the same year that he died. So oh. <laughs> whether the prophecy was true or not, uh, we don't know whether this book exists. Also, we that don't is... know, but this, yeah, that's the story I heard. <laughs> that, is, that is freaking cool. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. That is, yeah, wow. What a, yeah, what a legend. An, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's something that Sean would, probably uh could probably share oh yeah definitely sean <laughs> loves folklore because that that definitely airs on something that sean would love to look into um yes but, exactly yeah but closing up um talking about north korea is there anything that you feel like any kind of myths or kind of propaganda that you think necessarily needs to be debunked as the country from what you've seen in 2018 and 2019 because i know there's been a lot of years that have passed since then is there anything that you really wanted to clear up by going over there or yeah a, a lot of things but let me start with that that most uh -huh. foreigners they they say that whatever you see in north korea is fake mm -hmm. and and that's how they uh, describe everything they see from any video that they see from anyone who has been to north korea um i've talked to many north koreans who've lived also in pyongyang and in other parts of north korea uh, yes, it's true that definitely the loyal people live in Pyongyang, uh, people that are the wealthiest and are living in the best situation as as possibly uh, that you can imagine in North Korea. They live in Pyongyang. That's true. Is mm -hmm. it 1%? No, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. um, but the people that you see, regardless of whether they are loyal or not, they are still people. Right. And the itinerary is carefully planned, definitely. And the people that are around you, they probably won't like tell you, hey, uh, our president or our leader is a, a whatever, you know, I'm not going to swear, but right. but they are still people nonetheless. It's not all fake. It's, yeah. Fake is a strong word. And and if it's used too often, you kind of dehumanize the entire country. And then whatever you see from the country is immediately fake, means you don't believe anything that the North Koreans say, but the people are still people. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, humanity. Yeah. 
they're still human yeah, beings at the oh no you're perfectly fine i interrupted you they're still human beings at the end of the day so i get entirely what you're saying there yeah um it's the same as when from south korea you look through the binoculars and you look into north korea and you see farmers in the field mm-hmm. some people visit south korea they tend to say oh this is fake too but like it, it's just a country on the other side and the people just live their life in the best way possible mm-hmm. uh, they probably don't know any better that people are looking at them like not everything you see is fake no definitely not so i mean uh, yeah that's one of the things i wanted to say yeah i mean thank you for sharing that because i feel like that's something that does get lost in roman translation especially with you know propaganda all over the world how they like look at countries just because of you know certain you know government leaderships and everything like that they kind of forget that they're still everyday people Yes, uh, and maybe in addition to that, like if you look, if you listen to the stories of the factors, uh, you will find out at some point that all of their stories are different and that information might differ as well. Right. Um, and that, that is because they come from different regions in North Korea. And it's really difficult for North Koreans to travel from one city to another or from one province to another province. They need to get permission and like there's a whole uh, bureaucracy around it in a North Korean way. So each of their mm-hmm. regions have their own experiences with the authorities and with uh, right. beliefs, with with farming, with whatever you can imagine. So all the stories are different. So it's not that if one North Korean says this, then what the other North Korean says is not true. No, it's probably true as well, but she has experienced it in a different region. So different things happened. I mean, that's no yeah, different so than I, every... I guess... Yeah, it's no different than anywhere else in the world, especially if somebody's experiencing hardship and everything like that. When you look at it through that lens, you get to see that at the center point of it all, we're all still human and we all still go through all these things and we need to be looked at as such. Yes, yeah, right, yeah. But it definitely looks like you've got a lot of um, experiences and everything from going to North Korea. So when you came back to South Korea... Um, how was that like? Was it, there any kind of like adjusting that you had to do or anything, especially even if you were only over there for a certain amount of time? Um, no, not really. A lot of people mm-hmm. ask you how it was and, and they, um, treat you as a certain expert, which I am not. Yeah. I was just a traveler and I, I can share what I've experienced as a traveler, but that's as far as it goes. Right. Now, uh, ever since that time, like, like this whole trip has triggered my interest even more in North Korea. So I started doing more research, talked to more North Koreans, uh, did some North Korea related work. So uh, now I can say, okay, maybe I know a thing or two. Um, but I, I had to readjust. I didn't know what to do with my channel after the North Korea series. Like, hey, right. I can't go back to North Korea. I don't want to go to other similar kind of countries. So what do I do now with my life after being so successful with the series? So it took me almost mm-hmm. two to three years to get to the point where I'm now, um, yeah. like this Welcome to My Dong series. It took me a long time to find the niche that I'm really satisfied with. Yeah. I think that was I mean, the biggest I saw, struggle. Yeah, I saw that you um, did a little bit of cycling. It, that was kind of after you had done the North Korean thing, right? Yes, that was after. Yeah, long after, almost two years after. Yeah, kind of adjusting and finding where you wanted to be with your channel. That cycling thing was really great, though. <laughs> Yeah, that was after a really dark period in my life. Um, I just came out of a five, six month break of a, I would say, like a light depression. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's never been diagnosed, but I, I wasn't feeling good for a really long time. And financially, it wasn't going well. Um, so I decided to cycle. I guess that's what Dutch people do when they're, when they're not feeling good. They jump on a bike and I like uh, a therapy. Yeah, take some time. Yeah, like a therapy. Exactly. Just be out in the open, be vulnerable, be with yourself, uh, be as analog as possible, which is also quite difficult to do these days. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so 2,000 kilometers around South Korea by myself, sleeping in a tent every night in summer, that- the warmest and hottest season of Korea. Oh. Nice. <laughs> Sounds like it was very difficult, but would you say it was worthwhile to be able to cycle around <clears throat> South Korea like that? Yes, yes, yes. It's the best experience in my life ever. Uh, I've, I've seen the country in, in the purest form ever. Um, mm-hmm. The entire coastline is so beautiful. You see places that no tourist would ever go to. Uh, you talk to the funniest and the sweetest people ever. Um, yeah, you just wake up at five in the morning because you know you need to go for like 50, 60 kilometers into the mountains. But you wake up at a time when the sun sets. And, and it's just so beautiful. It just, it's almost undescribable. I vlogged, like I filmed most parts of the trip, uh, but mm-hmm. still I, I couldn't really convey the beauty and my emotions, like the way I, I, I really felt them to my audience. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely the best thing I've ever done. I wouldn't do it again because, you know, the <laughs> wife sitting at home and <laughs> she, she was a, she really supported me at the same time she was missing me and I was missing her. So yeah, at certain points along the trip, she visited me and that was good. Yeah. It was so sweet seeing her come, you know, with you, especially on certain parts of it. Like it looked like it, she was there when you were, was it Jeju that you were cycling through that she was with you? Oh yeah. that That's a completely different trip, but yes, she, yeah. she was there. Uh, the entire way uh, in a car, mm-hmm. just going to the point where we would sleep and then she would go there already, do some work, wait, waiting for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love how supportive she is of you, especially through yeah, this. So um, doing the cycling journey, um, was there anything, um, any place that you went to that you would say was kind of like emotionally like overwhelming or beautiful or like so intense, like helping you with your um, mm-hmm. recovery period or? Um, I think when I was at, at 60% of the trip, I was sleeping one night in the tent at the beach and I didn't check, check the weather forecast and it was the typhoon season in Korea. Oh, so boy. little did I know that a, a big, a huge typhoon was coming straight at me at the point where I was sleeping in the tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I woke up, I was like so wet, uh, water was floating into the tent and the tent was almost blowing away and I stressed out. So I picked up the laptop and all the um, electronics, the cameras, all of the stuff. And I ran into uh, a cafe, which was surprisingly still open. I don't know why. Um, and and that's when I, my energy drained. I was actually done with the trip as, mm-hmm. as beautiful as it was. I still had to do the entire West coast and the entire West coast, as I learned from other uh, cyclists, is not prepared for cyclists. Like, Oh. There are no bicycle roads. So if you want to stay as, as close as possible uh, to the beach, you, you have to conquer the the highways. Or the oh. It's not really a highway. It's uh, like a freeway or right. I don't know how you call it, like in between the, like a highway and uh, within the within the village. But 
-hmm. Cars were driving there 100 kilometers per hour and I was cycling next to the road with with this much space for myself. And I and I constantly was thinking, ah, this this can be the end. <laughs> this can be the end, you know. The, the right. Only one guy, only one driver has to sleep, and it's over. You can hit me, and there's nothing. You don't see anything, right? Because everything comes from behind. Yeah. And and that's how I cycled for more than six days in a row, just every day over those roads. And I was so done. I just wanted to go home. But because of that experience. And this is hard to explain, but because of that particular experience, I knew mm -hmm. that uh, I was ready to continue my YouTube channel. Hey, <laughs> it was like this. an eye-opening. <laughs> it was an eye-opening, yeah. I don't know why, <laughs> but it was. And I did. Uh, and I'm happy I did so because it's going better than ever, as we speak. Yeah, you have to have a... In order to get that rainbow, you got to put up with a little bit of rain. No pun intended with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Literally, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. would you say, in turn, like, the cycling journey inspired you to not, like, continue, like, doing Welcome to My Dong and everything and on top of you wanting to explore all those neighborhoods? Yes, because the Welcome to My Dong is the exact opposite of what I did in this bicycle trip. Because I've <laughs> seen the entire country, the entire peninsula, like, 2,000 kilometers every day. Uh, I've seen a new place along the entire coast. And when I came back to the city, I realized that the city itself is also really beautiful. Oh, but yeah. If you live here, you, you don't really realize that it's right underneath your nose, all the beauty and the stories and the culture mm -hmm. and the history and, and the darker side of Korea. There's, there's so much to dig up in mm -hmm. all the unfamiliar neighborhoods. And yeah, after I came back from this bicycle trip, I was ready to explore, to do this Dong series, no matter what people say, uh, no matter whether it's going to be successful or not. I just had a feeling it would be because it just felt like some, some passion inside of me was telling me like a voice inside of me was telling me that, okay, but maybe this is what you should do because over like throughout my entire YouTube career, the biggest stress was always, what can I make next week? Yeah. Maybe you, you know, that feeling as a, a podcast maker, like oh, yeah. you always have to find like new topics or subjects to talk about the people that are, interesting to show on your channel and right. that stressed me out every single week because you, you finish a video you upload it and then it's not like oh now i can rest for a few days no no you immediately have to go to the next video because yeah, there's another sunday of, coming yeah you have to think of new content and you constantly there's also the worry on whether or not you know people are going to really like what you put out as well exactly so this uh donk series just makes sense 467 neighborhoods if I do one every week, I have enough content for six, seven years. There you go. It's <laughs> so been, there you go. It's, <laughs> it's been yeah. great too. And it's just so eye opening. I, I love it so much. There's when I was in school, um, both college, high school, we didn't get to learn anything. They barely like scraped the Korean war. And, you know, my great uncle, he served in Korea. So that was like, I've had all sorts of influence with Korea ever since I was little. And that's like, it's kind of just been like attached to my hip, but it's just so far out of reach that I can't get there. So seeing you do stuff like this, it's phenomenal. And it just makes me feel like I can have an attachment. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that watch your channel. They feel the same way. You give them an opportunity to connect to something that they may never actually get the chance to see, you know, in person, step foot into the country. But 
in a way you you're giving them that chance to actually step foot and see it for what it is thank you so much like i, I really wish more people uh, like you like like non-koreans in general i wish they could mm-hmm. find my channel because right now more than 90 percent of my audience is korean oh yeah and i always felt that i'm making this content for non-koreans more than for koreans so because I assume that they would know more about the history than I do. Right. But it's not always, not always the case. So, uh, yeah, I just hope that more uh, non-Koreans will find my channel. Oh, I'm sure with due time, because I mean, I know I've been like sharing it and showing my mom and my family and they, (laughs) they love you. I've, they absolutely love you. And my boyfriend, he's a big fan of you especially um he's from Gangnam and you went and you visited Gangnam district and the you know the less fortunate side of it so he got to see parts of his life that streets that he was able to go down that made him extremely happy just to see that to see it represented yeah yeah especially um with him going through the difficult time that he's going through i know that um it can be very comforting especially to be able to look at like places like your old childhood you know, stomping grounds and everything. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, say hi to your boyfriend. Oh, I definitely will. I think he'll, <laughs> I think he'll fan, kind of fanboy like I fangirl whenever <laughs> I see you upload new stuff. So I think he's really going to love that. So I'll make sure once we um, finish up here today to tell him that. So yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm way too humble to to hear this kind of stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just your, a normal, normal is, man. <laughs> hey, your stuff is really, really great, and I think a lot of people need to like definitely get into it and learn more because there's so much that you've shown just through um, you know, with your co-host that you take on these things. It's just the only thing I can just say is just how awesome it really is for somebody to be out there to, looking in. But um, I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. So, um, when you're vis- so visiting the neighborhoods in Seoul, uh, has there been one that's been your favorite so far? Or oh, um, every time I upload a video, I tell people, okay, this is my favorite. This is my new favorite. <laughs> this is my new favorite. Uh, but if I have to choose one, probably Muwagdong with Guide uh, Sean. That was a great mm. one. Yes. that neighborhood really surprised me so much it's Mm -hmm. super close from my own home it's like a 15 minute bicycle ride and I didn't know that this place exists Muwagdong is a tiny neighborhood next to Sodimun prison a really famous uh, landmark for tourists highly promoted but if you cross the street and you pass by those apartment buildings then you suddenly stand in the middle of a, a, a shamanic town or village if you will. And mm-hmm. the reason why it's there is because the mountain it is built on, it's called uh, Inwangsan. And Inwangsan has on the peak a really big boulder that looks like, according to Sean, a benevolent, a benevolent king. I could see and, that the way that you highlighted it. Yeah. And the tiger beside it as well. Yes. A mountain god. <laughs> so <laughs> the shamans, they love that place. It's, it's really sacred. There, there's good spirit. There's good uh, Jidi, as they would say, uh, like the Feng Shui in, uh, in Korea. Um, and that's why so many people go there that are either spiritual or superstitious or very religious in a way, but they just mm-hmm. go there and they pray to uh, that god or other gods. 
for good fortune, usually for you know edu good education of their children, good results. Um, but you, while walking through that town, you just feel this weird energy. You just feel that that there's something going on that you can't really explain, and you see right. offerings at really weird places, like randomly on the ground, bottles of makuli, uh, candy that people offer to the gods, and they just left it there. And you see uh, shamans doing rituals, goods, as they're called in Korea. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, with this colorful uh, outfit and they have these swords in, the hand, in their hands. And then, like, they, they scan, I don't know, things that I don't understand. But yeah, it, it was just so mysterious, that place. And it's, it's right around the corner and I didn't know. And then, apart from all of that, it's also just a really nice hiking trail right oh, yeah. outside of the city wall. Yeah, and, and not only that, it, that was the place that also had, like, the murals and everything as well, right? Within the town, all those beautiful um, paintings and yeah. everything. It, that yes, entire... yes, of, of tigers, yeah. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite episodes as well. And I think even just from me watching the video, you can tell that there's something definitely special going on there. You can't really pinpoint it not being, you know, maybe it's because I'm not Korean, I don't necessarily study into shamanism a whole lot but you definitely feel like the special the specialness and the personality within that neighborhood yes it's, there's so there's a quote it's <laughs> one of my favorite quotes and uh well it's, i don't really know uh, how it goes exactly i forgot but um it's like there's a fish in his fishbowl he's not able to see his own surroundings yeah but outsiders can see the exact shape of the fishbowl Mm -hmm. and that's that's how i see myself going through these neighborhoods i'm trying to mm -hmm. see the beauty in, in something that koreans probably don't see mm -hmm. uh, maybe after hearing my story but before that they're like oh it's just a building oh it's just a story but yeah uh, to me that's something beautiful yeah i mean everything has got a story the way that you've said it here every part of seoul with seoul, not just seoul but korea in general is filled with so much beauty and history. I mean, there's also, you know, the pain and the suffering that they've endured through so many years and all the hardships, especially today that they have to go through, but there's still so much beauty in the country. Yes. And like, I always compare it with uh, maybe a really weird comparison, but you know, if you're in a relationship and you talk about mm -hmm. each other's exes, it is always a bit uncomfortable Right. But in a way, uh, those axes made the person the way that person is today. So, no, that's know, a perfect analogy. Of hating... <laughs> yeah, right. So, when Kriya, my wife, and I, we never mm -hmm. um, hide things from each other. If we see like a photo of the ex coming by, like, was not like, oh, delete that immediately. No, right. we know that because of her life experiences, she became the person that I fell in love with. So, the same goes for me. And That's so beautiful. The, the... <laughs> Usually I don't have analogy. Okay. <laughs> Today, um, <laughs> uh, so the same goes with the, the pain of Koreans. Mm -hmm. it, it just made the Koreans the way they are today. Like, I don't want to shy away from their darker uh, history, whether it's the Japanese colonial times or mm -hmm. uh, certain periods in the Joseon dynasty or uh, the, the, the dictatorships afterward. Like, Right. Now, th this had to happen to become a strong country that they are today. Yeah, definitely. It's part of what makes it South Korea so unique and why I think a lot of people definitely love it is seeing how much it's overcome through the years and how much it still has a lot to, 
you know, a lot to learn and a lot to grow from. It's got so much potential. Yes, definitely. And and, and today they, they also struggle with things like uh, emancipation, you know, the, the becoming more liberal or not. And North yeah. Korea or J- Japan, like they're still docto, they're still the comfort women. Like they still have their issues, but yeah, every country has. And um, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't want to filter my channel. So whatever I find in the neighborhood, but this is my mm-hmm. number one rule. <laughs> I, I don't want to hide it from my viewers. If, if I find oh, it, yeah. and it, even though it's a d- dark, painful story, I will cover mm-hmm. it. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's part of the, that's part of just necessarily what you have to do because you're not telling the whole truth and doing the country necessarily a service if you're hiding stuff. Right. Yeah. But um, while, while doing this series, you know, you've had a whole bunch of co-hosts just about every um, place that you've gone to, there's been somebody going alongside with you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So is there any like, Um, yeah. Is there any like tales or stories that they've told you that have stuck with you? I know Sean has shared a whole lot of folklore. <laughs> Somehow the folklore of Sean always uh, sticks in my mind. Um, I guess in the video that I haven't uploaded yet, Jing Guangdong, mm-hmm. we went into Bukhansa National Park. And uh, there's one peak called the Yongchul Bong. And the way Sean explained it is that Long time ago, as the legend says, there was a dragon, really gigantic dragon. He tried to climb himself up uh, onto that peak. And while doing that, he was bringing with him a lot of soil, uh, rocks and trees. And when he was at the top of the peak, he was tired. So he rested his head on top of the peak. And, and with all the stuff that he brought with him, he created that same peak. So that, that peak today is called uh, like the dragon opening peak. And why opening? Because the dragon wanted to ascend into heaven. So with the last bit of energy, he he pushed himself away from the peak and boom, he was gone into heaven and to live like a thousand years, as Sean said. (laughs) Um, So so that's after that happened, that's uh, when they started to call this peak uh, the dragon opening peak. And not far from the peak, there's a Buddhist temple. And at this Buddhist temple, there's a really huge... Uh, was a, a Buddhist sculpture, mm-hmm. and that sculpture is exactly located at the place where the beating heart of the dragon was when he was resting his head on top of the peak. Mm-hmm. And now there's also something special about that temple. Before the the monk, like long time ago, uh, before he wanted to build this temple, or no, the the reason why he wanted to build this temple was because he believed that if we built this temple at that location, then uh, the kingdom will not fall. So, long time ago, the kingdom still in Korea. And then the Japanese, they invaded Korea. Uh, they didn't win. They retreated back to Japan. And then the people believed that, hey, it's because of the uh, the location of that temple. Good prosperity. Right. Then, over time, the temple disappeared. Uh, and then we're in the 90s. So, the more modern version of the story is that uh, another monk wanted to rebuild this same temple at the same location because he remembered the legend and that was during the time of the Asian financial crisis. Oh yeah. So they built the temple again and after the temple's finished, Korea was the first country to pay back the debt to the IMF. 
And then again, people thought that, hey, it's because of the temple in that location. Yeah, and, and that, that's just one of the legends, the, the folklore, uh, a myth of the mountain that you can learn through uh, like an interesting guide like Sean <laughs> and bringing him a... along into one of the neighborhoods. <sighs> yeah. Sean has so many stories that are fantastic. I love, I could listen to him all day and talk about folklore. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is. And I'm a big fan of uh, dragons, mythical creatures. So uh, that's yeah. why I remember this story. He probably can explain it in a much more interesting way than me. I think I'm going to have to like hit him up and be like, you got to tell me the story about the dragon in the mountain. You've got to, because <laughs> Bart told me about it. And now I got to I got to know, because this is freaking awesome, especially like history, the way that it colluded up and like coincided. It's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you can watch the video tomorrow. <laughs> It'll be in there. Oh, is it for real? Yeah, oh for my real, gosh. yeah. Yes, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be so awesome. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'll I'll wait a little bit and upload this until after that's been posted yeah, so we sure. don't have a spoiler. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> nah, um, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> But likewise, um, you know, the host, like Sean, he's told you a lot of great stories. Um, I know Joe told you the story of the um, butcher in the market with the knife and the thieves and all that, or the gangsters. That one was, whew, that one was a graphic one, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the people you talk to, have they told you any stories? Because I know um, the old man that was in the Gangnam area, he that tugged on my heartstrings, how he was able to tell you a, yes. his story and open up. Is there anything like that that stuck with you? Mm, well, that, yeah, that, that man, oh man, that was, that was such an emotional experience, like being in his home uh like learning about his life and how he was embarrassed to talk to his family because he doesn't want them to know that he lives like that because he's living in mm-hmm. a, a, a moon village a shanty town a moon mm-hmm. village because yeah, poor village built close to the moon that's why the name a moon village but yeah that was such a contrast um against the skyline of gangnam oh, yeah. so yeah um but another one, I uh, that was back in Myeongdong. That was a really a special experience, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So Myeongdong is known to be the shopping district. Uh, a lot of foreigners go there to to oh, like yeah. basic franchise shopping. Boring, in my opinion. But the neighborhood itself isn't. If you mm-hmm. look a little bit further than uh, the shops. So me and my guide uh, Jacko, we went into one of the Kolmoks, the back alleys, mm-hmm. and then suddenly there was a bookstore tucked away in the darkness. And we were like, hey, interesting, let's have a look. So we went inside and we noticed that all the books and magazines, they were in Japanese. Uh-huh. They were written in Japanese. And, and we were like, okay, so what is a, a bookstore with Japanese books doing in Korea? And only Japanese books. So we talked mm-hmm. to the owner, an old man, and he said that um, his only customers are people with the age of 90 or older. Oh, and, and they can only really speak and talk in Japanese. Right, because they have experienced the, the colonial times and they were taught how to read Japanese and not how to read Korean. Yeah. So uh, that that was 
like really shocking to to learn that there are still places like this and that there's still 90 plusers alive that can only read Japanese. They probably speak Korean, mm -hmm. uh, but they can only read Japanese. And it was just so interesting to find something like this. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's pure history, like colonial history still in practice, so to say. Yeah, stuff that yeah, you wouldn't uh, see, especially on the like the top of what Myeongdong really is. I mean, that's <laughs> no, 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 exactly. So it, it's not much of a, a story; it's more of an experience, I guess. I mean, it still counts technically in my yeah, eye, kind of, definitely, because yeah. you're looking at like the tip of the iceberg from what you would typically see, like the the skyscraper buildings, you know, Insel Tower, all that stuff. And then you get below the iceberg because, like, you know, they always say that there's so much more under the water. There is so much more. So much more. Yeah. Yeah. So with the series, I mean, do you feel like it's a good way to show people um, who want to visit South Korea, you know, the peak into what life is, especially like to give them kind of that reality check that this isn't just all K-pop, K-dramas. You're not going to go over there and be like an opa or anything like that. Yes, definitely. Uh, and that is partly to do with the way I disagree with the whole uh, marketing strategy of Korea uh, in general, because they promote Korea in a certain way and they want to guide all the tourists to certain places mm -hmm. and show them uh, parts of Korea that are definitely also Korean, but mm -hmm. uh, far from everything. And I compare it with uh, Europeans going to cities in Europe try to learn as much as possible about the buildings that they see and places and, and also see like the places that the tourists wouldn't go to uh, too often. Mm -hmm. I, I want to give that on a plate to my followers and then leave it up to them whether they uh, want to go themselves and, and see it for themselves or just learn it from me. Mm -hmm. But there, there are other than me, there are not many people who do this at the moment. Yeah. Not definitely. in English or with Korean subtitles. It, they are only... Yeah, they only promote like the Gyeongbokgung palaces, the city halls and certain markets, but there's so much more, so much yeah. more. I think the government can definitely learn something, especially from these strategies like what you and, you know, Joe and Sean do, showing that there's so much more than just what they are assuming that people are going to look into. Because don't get me wrong, I definitely love learning about, you know, all the major cities and stuff like that. but I also want to know exactly what made South Korea, South Korea. And these stories mm -hmm. that you show are exactly that. Yes. For example, um, there's one video, it's called, uh, so there's, there's one video where I go to Changsindong. And Changsindong is basically the beating heart of the textile industry in Korea. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the big factories. I'm talking about uh, uh, small sweatshops where people are sewing day and night, oh, get yeah. the textile out and send it to the Dongyamun uh, fashion market. And right next to that is one of the main gates of Seoul where tourists go, but they don't go further than that. If they walk a little bit further, they walk straight into this neighborhood and you hear all the textile sounds and the delivery guys uh, mm -hmm. delivering textile. And it, it's such a vibrant neighborhood and really close to the working class of Korea. Mm -hmm. Th that is still a majority in Korea and that's something that most people don't know but to me seeing that and, and getting an image of how that is like it, it also shows what Korea is oh, yeah, I, I'm just filling in a gap 
that's what I do, I guess. I mean, I think it's way more than just you filling in a gap. You're literally showing history that probably would just be forgotten. And it's kind of, I kind of agree um, with how some people say it. Like there are, you know, of course there are Koreans that are very proud of their culture and everything. They're proud of being a Korean, but there's also the foreigners that look at this and they are like, you know, this is beautiful. I want to share this with the rest of the world. So it's like, yes. Like, you don't want this to be forgotten and just put into, like, the backspace of somebody's memory, and unfortunately, that person passed away, and then it dies with them. Yes, and that's what's happening. There's a way, like, they, there's a way they want themselves to be seen by other people, and they oh, yeah. are too concerned about that, and they think that, uh, they assume that the other people want to see a certain part of themselves, but that's a wrong assumption. Right, Like they can't fill that in for the tourist. Like, oh, you should see this because that's what we want you to see. And while doing that, they literally, I wouldn't say like the word hide, but they mm-hmm. um, they try not to show certain parts of Korea. Uh, it could either be yeah. because they are a bit embarrassed or they feel uncomfortable showing that or they don't think it's it's the pretty side of their own culture. Yeah. While uh, that, that's so wrong. I think it is as as pretty as any other part of your culture. Yeah, I mean, it's part, like you said, like talking about the exes and everything, it's part of what made them who they are today. Exactly. And, you know, uh, you don't want to be a North Korean who, North Korea who only shows like a a really strict itinerary of the most beautiful sites. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want to do that. You want to have people be able to embrace everything that there is about the country because there's so much that they can offer. And it's such a shame, like things like Pimatgol, because I know that was like one of the first things that you looked at. You really wanted to go see the Pimatgol Alley. And I think um, at this time, Joe and Sean had done a thing talking about, you know, it disappearing and then them replacing it with like this. I don't know what it is like they're going to replace it with. But yeah, just just to see like wiping away history, even though it doesn't necessarily it may not have necessarily looked, you know, pretty and as aesthetic as you know other places but it's still like it's just a part of South Korea and it's such a shame to watch that stuff just dissipate for something that they feel is like more favorable yes I really hope they try to repurpose certain areas of the Pimat coal that's still remaining uh, Mm -hmm. or maybe preserve literally preserve a certain part but yeah that that's not going to happen <laughs> it's yeah. it's going to disappear within 5 to 10 years that is uh, such a yeah shame. Uh, yeah that that's one of the reasons why I do this series is archiving what we have now and try to capture as much or as many stories as possible uh and that will be valuable in a, a couple of years or in 50 years or 40 years yeah I mean, I definitely believe so, too, and, like, seeing that. So you definitely think it's, like, a good way just to keep that history alive doing this series. Because I know South Korea is always changing. Something that you see now, maybe in six weeks or six months, may not necessarily be there anymore because of how far they're advancing. Yes, exactly. And I and I do it out of personal interest. Like, I'm, I'm not a humanitarian. Like, I'm not on this... Um like mission to to convince people that no we should stop development the preserve because this is their how do you say that their episode is their yeah like i'm just a foreigner here right so i i don't want to 
be too strongly opinionated about it. Like I've, I've expressed myself a few times, but then I, I realized like, Hey, it's their country. So, yeah, you know, but, but I will, I will do my part as, as part of my own interest. And that's, you know, capturing as much as possible. And if people like it, they can watch and hopefully they do. I think so. I mean, I love, I just love the way that you have shown it. Um, um, you know, you've still got a long way to go with all of these neighborhoods. So is there like an end goal that you're really hoping to accomplish by the end of the series whenever you do reach it? Uh, Yes. Um, First of all, I want to make a map. I'm already making a map along the way. Every time I finish a neighborhood, I color it on my office wall. There's a big map of Seoul. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give it a name that I think uh, describes the charm well. And then by the end of this project, I want to make that map or turn it into an, an actual paper map, something that, I don't know, I, I can sell or like a form of merchandise or, or just to have it. I don't know yet, but I wanted to make it a map and a book. I want to write a book. Mm-hmm. I want to make like six, seven uh, episodes or series book, um, each describing like 50 to 100 neighborhoods. I don't know yet, but... Yeah, I want to write about it. I want to make sure that whatever I've learned along the way is going to be written and, and that people can buy it and use it as a, as a guidebook when they travel to Seoul. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, whenever you do decide to do a book, you've got to sell right here because I will definitely <laughs> buy everything that I can despite you know being in the United States right now. Any way that I can get my hands on it, I will. <laughs> I will do my best. I will publish it in English. That, I, I just... <laughs> It kind of sucks. English is not my uh, native tongue. First language. Here. Yeah. First language. Uh, um, yeah, it's Dutch and then second English and then Korean. So I, I speak English so I can reach more people, but I wish I could speak Dutch. But yeah, then uh, that will give me more work in terms of subtitles and all of that. It'll be great, especially if you could publish the book in like all of the languages that you're comfortable with doing. Because I mean, Dutch yeah. is actually Dutch is actually a fairly easy language. I did start learning a little bit of that as well because I was hoping to be able to communicate with you in your native tongue, but unfortunately, <laughs> I am just not that confident. So I do apologize. <laughs> I apologize for that. Yeah, but. But I do hope that you get to see that project come to fruition as well. So likewise, whenever this um, project does end, do you have any future plans that you may have laid out, like from everything that you have done up until this point that has inspired you to probably do something else or anything like in-store special for the iGobart channel? Mm, I want to make a really intense and big documentary series um, on a journey along the China North Korean border, that's oh. been oh. a long dream of mine. It's a long border, yeah. it's a thousand something kilometers, even more, I think. Uh, and I really want to capture uh, how is life of the the Chinese and the Korean Chinese who live in that region, and, and how much of the Korean culture can be seen still, and also how it is like how the border has shaped life over there. Like, are they? dealing with defectors? Are they uh, smuggling goods in and out of North Korea? Um, Like fishing in the river, the Yalu River. Like there's so many questions that I have and I really hope, and I hopefully, maybe for Igor Bart, but hopefully for 
Netflix. Like it's one of the things I'm working on in my mind. Oh, sweet. Well, I hope that comes to fruition as well, because I would definitely love to see that as well, especially see you succeed with every, all the stuff that you have done. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine just how exciting this is for you to watch your channel grow the way that it has, especially over the last couple of years. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll see. We never know how it goes. YouTube is unpredictable. It can be unpredictable, but it can be. But you have definitely got a lot of wonderful, you know, experiences and lessons out here. And I just, I love being able to come home, especially after a stressful day, because I'm freaking hell, pardon my French, but um, just living (laughs) where I live, it's so stressful, the day-to-day life and being able to tune in and see stuff that I just, I wish so bad that I could go and do being able to see like you experience it, especially with like people that I've become friends with. It's just, it makes me feel so connected. It makes me feel so happy. And I genuinely hope that everything um, you get that. And then some, because you definitely are somebody that is so passionate and you love what you're doing. I can just tell by the way that you carry yourself through the series. So I definitely hope that you can get all of this and, then some <laughs> thank you so much i don't know what well, to say to that <laughs> i'm not good at receiving to, uh, compliments <laughs> I, you don't have to you don't have to say anything it's just it it's a big yeah. honor to be able to talk to you especially and i do hope that we can like continue a friendship as well possibly and it's i just really am so excited to see how all of this turns out for you so is there anything like else you would like to share while you're on the channel today anything that you would like to communicate with people i don't have the biggest audience but anything to get your message out there oh um next month august 10 i will publish a book about north korea my trip to north korea oh <laughs> But but unfortunately, it's going to be in Korean. They hey. didn't want to publish it in English. No problem. I will still be, with the technology we've got now, I can still read it. So I definitely am looking forward to that. Yeah, it, it's a legit book. It's it's going to be published by a legit publishing company. It, it's, uh, yeah, I've been working on it for three, four years now. That's got to be so exciting. And I can, te- I, I can tell how happy you are for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But other than that, uh, something inspirational to say? Nah, just stay curious. <laughs> the way that you've been through the entire series, wanting to learn more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's getting late over there, and I'm sure you're exhausted with everything that you've had to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for a bike ride after this. Oh, my goodness. I could not imagine because what is it like going on nine o'clock at night over there now or or 10, 10 p.m. now yeah but oh my daytime is so hot it's like 30 35 degrees and so now it's a bit cooler yeah bit chilly well, even. you definitely have earned a relaxing bike ride and hopefully um, come home and have you some soju or some makkali or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yes we'll do we'll do definitely well Bart thank you so much for taking your time today especially to talk to me for as long as you did I hope um, you enjoyed talking as much as I enjoy talking to you no thank you for having me on the show I'm uh, honored
I'm honored that you decided to join in. So thank you so much. I hope that I can hear from you soon. I hope that maybe in the future we can collaborate together for something. Maybe, maybe eventually I can come over to South Korea as well. So I hope to do that. So thank you so much for everything. Yes. And uh, see you in South Korea. <laughs> see you in South Korea <laughs> once I get the chance. So I hope you have a wonderful okay. day. And um, yeah. is, do you want to promote like any of your channel, any kind of subscri- um, like subscription service, like your, like Patreon or anything like that? Oh, no, 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 no. That's fine. So, you sure? Yeah. Yeah. People, if they want, they can have a look and subscribe if they want, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's up to them. If they like it, of course. Definitely. Well, thank you everybody for um, tuning in today. I greatly appreciate it. And Bart, thank you again. Once again, I cannot thank you enough. Um, If you have any other um, comments or anything that you would like to ask, is there anything like an email that you would open up for them or can they just comment on your YouTube or? Uh, If they want to contact me, then I go Bart at Mm hotmail.com and otherwise on Instagram. But yeah, that's quite difficult. I sometimes don't see the DMs, but I go Bart at hotmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys have any questions for me as well, um, you can contact me. Um, the um, podcast email is manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you guys so much. Um, Bart, I hope you have a wonderful evening and enjoy that bike ride, okay? I will. I will. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. You have a wonderful night. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.